Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. As always, one of your co-hosts, Quinn Douglas, here, and joining us, as always, Full House once again. Carter Coppinger, Zach Martin, join us. And, fellas, good to have you back here on this Tuesday. Uh, I know we were supposed to be recording probably about 20 minutes ago, but I took a big nap because I'm the news guy this week. And uh, I, I was a little out of it when I woke up and I saw the text. I'm like, oh, I forgot we have to record today. <laughs> this is the second straight week that you have been late. <laughs> Last week it was it was your laptop, you know, deciding that it was from from the Mesozoic area, from yeah. the Mesozoic era, yeah. and now you can't you can't get out of bed. So here's here's a simple message, Quinn: get your <laughs> shit together. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know when you're the news guy, it's you get up at five a.m. It's snowing. It's the first snow of the year. It's, you really don't want to leave bed, Zach. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, when you I'll, get off work, it's already dark out. I'm here. Well, no, I got home, but I'm so tired. I'm like, I need to take a nap. And I did not. I was planning for like maybe an hour and a half nap, two hour nap. I was not planning for a nearly three hour nap. All Jeez. I'm hearing are, all I'm hearing are excuses. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been told. I've been told that. I've been told that a few times in my life. Don't worry. <laughs> That's fair. I, I've been told that a few times in my life. Don't worry. Just, all right. All right. Uh, we we are in uh, getting towards the end of November. We are recording this on Tuesday, so there is snow on the ground, much to the chagrin of everybody. At least you know. At least nobody here got in an accident this morning. Uh, unlike quite a few cars up here, because I was uh, full of having to report on accidents this morning. So it wasn't a slow morning by any means because I-35 and apparently wound up being like a, like a uh, bumper car ride at a Metroland this morning uh, because of the snow. But as far as, as far as we know, nobody nobody was hurt or anything like that. So that's always a positive. But with that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump right into our topics here. This week, obviously, we're going to keep Iowa High School football at the forefront. We are now in championship week. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look. First, at the semifinal results, uh, obviously, uh, this podcast came, the last podcast came out on Thursday. We already knew the eight-player results. Wake Wayland, they hold off. New Alfonso, 29-21. Uh, Lennox, they give St. Mary's Remsen all it can handle, and then some, but St. Mary's is able to pull away late against the Tigers. 42-20 to 20 was the final score, though that game was closer than the final score indicated. And that, you know, for for those Wednesday games, I don't think you could have asked for a better way to kick those games, kick off a week, my final weekend of the Unidale. Carter, you go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I I mean, I feel like I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I always like getting refreshed on eight-man football because the, the only time I ever watch it is in the when it's in the Unidome when I am streaming it or if I'm attending in person. And I mean, I, I think Rems and St. Mary's was kind of exactly who we thought they were. Um, and I, I was actually surprised by how close that game was uh, until, like you said, Quinn, the – the uh, fourth quarter when they really pulled ahead, I think it was only 30 to 20 um, mm. before then. Um, but I, I thought the Waco versus uh, New Alfonda game was really good. And I'm, I'm excited for the championship game here. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Waco might have a chance to take down Remsen. I don't know about you guys. So I would say I was very impressed with Waco. That was my first time seeing them, and I'm like, yeah, no, I fully have underestimated Waco Whalen all year because that their their front three and their defense they are fast. Like they were they were going they were flying side to side um, to stop 
to stop Newell Fonda's run game. And um, it, I mean, it was really impressive. Newell Fonda's quarterback was running for his life almost every single play that I saw. That uh, that offensive line could not could not stop the the front three of Waco. So I was really impressed. And I'll tell you what, Lennox, Quinn, you you're right, and I covered that game. Lennox gave Remsen everything it could handle. Gabe Funk was is he's a pretty darn good player, and he was he was trying his best to keep Lennox in that game. But mm-hmm. Will Ortman and um, uh, their top wide receiver, um, I'm blanking on his name. Um, uh, I talked to him too. He had a really good game. I think he had a couple of touchdowns. Um, that's yep. That's who it is. Ryan Woolman. He had a couple of touchdowns and um, yeah. Uh, Kale Ortman, excuse me, not Will Ortman. Um, Remsen looked really good. And um, their defense also was, um, they were able to pick themselves up. They had a couple, they were banged up is what Kale was telling me afterwards. And so guys like Jackson bunkers and, and others really stepped up to uh, help that Rems and defense. So I, I think this eight player championship game, which will be at 9 a.m. on win, on uh, Thursday will be really, really good. It's going to be a good matchup to, of speed for Waco versus physicality for Remsen and whoever, if physicality can outlast speed, which more times than not, it usually does. I think Remsen will win, but I, I kind of agree with Carter. I think Waco can, can make it interesting. And Zach, are you going to be there? Well, I'll be there. Uh, bef- I'll be there for the eight for the Class A for West Hancock Grundy, but I'll I'll get there early enough to see Rems and Waco. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I was really impressed with Waco Whalen. You know, watching them, I thought even up front they were really impressed on the offensive side. There, it looks like they run a lot of you know, it's almost like an eight man version of what I it was offense has a lot of zone blocking, you know, a lot of stretch plays, a lot of zone runs, and then play they like to use play action a lot. It was very impressive how, how high level they executed that against a very, very good New Alfonda defense. It may be one of the top two, top three defenses in, in, in a player in New Alfonda. And St. Mary's, you know, they have playmakers, but it, it definitely feels like, you know, like you said, they were banged up. So it definitely feels like the opportunity is there for Waco uh, in that championship game to maybe get a couple big plays on them. It's just a matter of if, if Waco is willing to take those shots because it felt like against New Alfonda, they, they were very much staying staying true to their game plan, staying true to their offense, you know, picking up chunk yardage plays and just driving methodically down the field. But if Waco, you know, I feel like if Waco really wants a legitimate shot to, to knock off Rems and St. Mary's, they're going to have to take some shots down the field against that banged up St. Mary's defense. Yeah. I know Ortman told me that he had, to, that he was only one way. So he was only playing quarterback for a good portion of the second half. So we'll see if Remsen can, and I think most of their guys that, that will go two way will play two way because it's the state championship game. It's the last mm-hmm. game of their last it's last game of a lot of their careers. They're going to go all out. So they're going to, they're going to give it all they got. So I would expect that Remsen's two way guys are going to, are going to play both ways. Yeah, I would imagine. So, especially, you know, like you said, going for a second straight state championship as uh, with that, we'll, we'll move on up to class a uh, they play on Thursday. West Hancock, tell you what, Len will Sully get West Hancock all the good handle and then some. Uh, Corden uh, uh, Van Howder, uh, Harder, Harder, Corden Van Howder, how do you say Quarter, quarter, now and harder. Quarter, now and harder. Okay, not Van. Uh, I'm used to saying Van from, from someone near that area, but Quarter, quarter non uh, now and uh, harder had a real, I mean, he carried Glenville Sully on his back in that game, but West Hancock is able to pull out a 22 14 win. And then Grundy Center, you know, we thought maybe, uh, 
we, we thought maybe what you know I, I thought maybe Woodbury Central wasn't quite the three seed I thought they were maybe in the fourth seed and it kind of played out that way Grundy Center they, they jumped on Woodbury Central early and they didn't look back in that 49 to 20 win uh, as uh, the Spartans and the Eagles will meet in the class AC championship game I believe for the third time in four years uh, maybe the maybe the fourth time in four years um, it, Zach, you, it will be well versed. It'll be the third time in four years, the fourth straight postseason they'll meet because they met in 2020 in the Class A quarterfinals up at Bob Sanger Field, and Grundy won that. So Wes Hancock is 3-0 against Grundy Center at the state championship uh, games, one in 2019, or 2-0, excuse me, going for 3-0 in 2019, 2021, and then going for number three, going for 3-0 on Thursday. And, And it should be a whale of a football game. I I was very impressed with the way Grundy played against Woodbury. Colin Gordon, he may be a first-year starting quarterback, but that kid can sling it. And he made he made a lot of really good throws um, and very patient. And that's something that uh, um, in talking to Mark Sanger today, because I went up to Brett for my uh, do interviews for my uh, uh, state championship preview story that will be in uh, Thursday's Mason City Globe Gazette. Um, uh, Coach Sanger told me that uh, the one thing that he really sees on on Colin Gordon on film is that he's very patient and he will uh, um, if the, if it's if there's one crack he'll make you pay for it. Um, so Wes Hancock's pass defense that took a couple really big chances against um, took a couple big chances against Lindell Sully got burned on him on the two passing touchdowns I gave up. Um, they're going to need to if they're going to take those big chances. They need to they need to not get burned. So um, and getting and having their having West Hancock's front seven getting to Gordon early is going to I think could set the tone for um, for how Grundy Center will attack offensively because they can still run the ball. Justin Kanak is still is a solid running back. Uh, Nineteen touchdowns this year, uh, almost eight hundred yards. So they can get back to their tried and true formula of running the ball, but. This is a different type of Grundy Center team. They are pass happy, and they and they're just as good, if not better, than last year. Uh, West Hancock, they just got to tackle better. Too many times that they let uh, Noun Harder get free um, for big runs, um, and you can't. They got to tackle better. Gave up a couple big plays that allowed Linville Sully to tie the game in the fourth quarter or third quarter. Um, but all, but the real big thing is they can't have four turnovers and expect to be Grundy Center. It was very uncharacteristic of Wes Hancock to have that many turnovers, miss that many tackles, and um, you know, and see a two touchdown lead get wiped away in in twelve minutes. So, if Wes Hancock wants to win a third title in four years and 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 go back to back, they need to um, they need to tackle better, they need to not turn the ball over, and they need to get pressure on Colin Gordon. Yeah, Zach, I, I'd agree with all all that you've kind of said so far. And just to add to that, West Hancock, I mean, I, I so I'd say Grundy Center, at least from my observation, it looked like they were weaker um, in their passing defense. And they actually, they stopped the run pretty well against Woodbury, Woodbury Central. And unfortunately for West Hancock, they don't throw essentially at all. Um, and you would think, you know, typically maybe that the the way to beat Grundy Center would be through the air. And so I'm really curious if uh, if Wes Hancock can, I mean, run the belt ball effectively against Grundy Center 
how that they, how they're going to be able to react to that. And then, I mean, I I also I, I think it's pretty cool that Bound is now doing. I, I don't know if you guys saw this the uh, the like fantasy points for uh, guys on Twitter. Yeah, and, I did see that. And I just thought that was pretty cool. And one thing I wanted to bring up is that I would really like to have a team full of all Gordons um, because Colin Gordon in class a, I mean, he absolutely went off. He put on a show last week. Um, They said that he scored 36.92 fantasy points, which um, if you just look at his stats, I mean, 16 for 23, 249 yards and five touchdown passes. That's uh that's a pretty good state semifinal football game. <laughs> it's not too shabby. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, not to mention they still had two more touchdowns that weren't through him that were on the ground. So uh, it that should be a great game. But I mean, right now the state championship in class A, I feel like runs through um West Hancock. And until then. We'll, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm really I'm excited for this one. I think the one big thing, if I can add another thing, is that Wes Hancock. You know, you're right. You're right, Carter. They don't usually throw the ball. They have thrown the ball a lot more this year really? than a lot of years. They've thrown for they've thrown 90, 91 times. Mitchell Smith, who runs their shotgun stuff, he'll be the primary one that throws it. So when he's in there, you know, you got to You got to look for a throw because Ryland Barnes will leak out behind he'll look like he's blocking and then he'll leak out and he'll be wide open. So they, they, they don't throw the ball. They, they don't throw it as much as, I mean, they still don't throw it as much as they run it, but they're, they're throwing it a lot more than they have in the past. I'll, I will say that. Yeah. I, I guess that that's solely my observation from watching one game of theirs this year, which was the semifinal game where I think right. they only passed it three or four times. <laughs> yeah. And the, they had two picks and that's, and that's the thing that they yeah. told me afterwards is like it, like when you get to this point, you, you, you don't go away from what got you here and yep. what got Wes Hancock to the dome and what has gotten Wes Hancock to the dome is that is their running game. So they're, they're not going to go away from that, even though they have two to three different offenses, they can, they can trot out there. They will always go back to their wing T stuff and their running backs with Kale Zool, Mitchell Smith, Kellen Smith, Jackson Peterson. They are speedy and they're also physical. And it's going to be really interesting to see if Grundy center, as good as their run defense is, if they, if it can match that physicality. Yeah. I always chalk that up to, you know, when Madrid was playing, you know, the wishbone offense, you can have a great run defense, you know, against maybe spread teams or, you know, regular, you know, modern, more modern day offenses, but, when you go up against that wishbone, when you went up against that wishbone Madrid, if you go up against that wing T of West Hancock, you're going to give up yardage on the ground. I mean, it's just it's the way that offense is designed to work. You're going to give up yardage on the ground. It's just a matter if Grundy Center can limit those big plays, uh, you know, limit those big plays out of that wing T set. And even you know, Carter, you and I talked about it. it felt like you know with those with those two interceptions at West Hancock, it felt like you know it definitely felt like they were maybe odd odd play calls they don't want to criticize play calling or anything like that but just it felt like they they, they were play calls that maybe didn't fit the scenario that West Hancock was in uh, and maybe they were trying to trying to grab momentum when they, they saw an opportunity obviously you know it's different watching at home from being at the game and having the feel of what's going on on the field but you know it, it led to the conversation you know I think West Hancock realized in the second half we, we got to stop going away from what got us here and they went back to running the football a lot more and I think you saw you know, at least in the fourth quarter, they went back to their, their wing T stuff and you saw the success that followed it. 
Yeah. Yep. I'd agree. So with that, you know, Grundy Center, West Hancock will be the, the class A state championship game. Uh, the, the, the nightcaps on, on Thursday's uh, day at the Dome, Class 4A, Lewis Central, they, they essentially blow out Carlisle. It's 42 to 21, although Lewis Central at one point left 35 to nothing. Cedar Rapids, they, they, they handle with Scott easily 38 to 10. And it's, it, it's almost kind of like how the Big Ten East is kind of settling out in, in college football with Michigan and Ohio State. It, it, it's felt like Lewis Central and Cedar Rapids Xavier has been kind of on, you know, there are two, ta- two trains on the same track running at each other. And now they're finally going to collide in the state championship game in Class 4A. Lewis Central, Cedar Rapids, Xavier. And this this has a chance to be, this has a chance to be, a, you know, maybe the best championship game of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, we kind of expected both of these teams to be in the state championship. And I mean, I remember watching uh, Cedar Rapids Xavier last year in the dome when I believe they were actually, cla- no, they were class four a last year. Yep. They were four a last year. Um, yep. They're four a. And I mean, they, I feel like they just run such a sound game all, overall. Like a lot of the times they like to control the ball and they just try, I mean, they try to make the run work, but they also have playmakers um, and do a lot of play action, uh, if I if I remember right. And I, I wasn't able to catch either of these games. Uh, I had class during them, so I don't have too much more to say on that. But, I mean, this is kind of what I expected, and I am excited to watch it. <laughs> yeah, this is a rematch of the, um, of the uh, state uh... – I believe the state champ. I believe this is a rematch of the state title game last year, um, that Lewis Central won. That actually went into triple OT, and uh, they had to reset the lights in the dome because they went out. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it went out because they they're on a timer, and they mm-hmm. had to they had to uh, reset them. So uh, yeah, this is this this is a rematch, and. Um, most of the same cast of characters are back for Lewis Central. When you look at when you look at um, their their quarterback, who has been playing on who a U and I commit, Miss uh, Braylon Camrad, and he was about as he was as close to perfect as you could ask for mm-hmm. against Carlisle. I think he missed like two passes, two or three, maybe four max. Um, he was he was as dynamite as you could ask for. And Xavier, they kind of they kind of controlled. Uh, they're they're much more physical than North Scott. Um, got a couple bounces and um, took advantage of North Scott miscues as well. So uh, yeah, you're right, Carter. They've been on a clash. They've been on a collision course. And uh, yeah, this is going to be this this is going to be a real treat of a of a nightcap for um, going to be a real treat of a nightcap on. For the for the first day of the state championships, because if it if it matches anything like last year, then it's gonna it's gonna be one heck of a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be absolutely electric to finish off the third stage for uh, state championship is over. You know, and, and with that, we'll move on now uh, for Friday's matchup in Class One A. Two more teams that feel like they've been on a collision course all year: Van Meter, a Sioux Van Meter. You know, it was against West Branch, but Van Meter they they. they they just outright blitzed West Branch on every side of the football. West Branch mistakes led to Van Meter points, and Van Meter ran away with a 48-17. And then West Sioux Haywarden, they dominated at Underwood 47-7. So it's Van Meter, West Sioux for the title for the second year in a row. And this year feels like a, a little bit more of an even match. 
as to a year ago. But like Namier very much had the upper hand. But uh, this one is a great way uh, to start off the first slate uh, with between Namier and Wasu. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I, I mean, I felt like last year was pretty. They were pretty even. I mean, it was a three. It was a three point game. I mean, we're not. Let's not act like Van Meter blew the doors off of West Sioux. Yeah, I would say they were. I would say that what Van Meter probably felt like they were in control most of that game. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they they didn't blow the doors off. So uh, and most of the cast of characters for West Sioux from you know from last year are back. Um, Dylan Wiggins back at quarterback, and he. Uh, he was he him and Brady Lineout were fantastic against Underwood. Um, and Wesu's defense was really, really good. I mean, they they completely shut down Underwood's passing game. Could uh, the Eagles could not get anything moving? It was really impressive to see. And it felt like the momentum was kind of grabbed by Wesu at the start when they forced a three and out, and then they hand off to um. Their first play from scrimmage was a was a pet was a handoff to to um why not? Mm-hmm. And he darted 66 yards for the touchdown. So it was West who had that game in control for all of it, and they they looked super, super good. And mm-hmm. Van Meter is Van Meter. And yes, I was surprised by the by the by the margin of victory over West Branch. Um, but Van Meter is still Van Meter, and until they're until they're beaten, you can't uh, you can't say that they're not the favorite for this one A title game. Yeah, you know it's funny we we had thought maybe the state had placed the championship game and maybe the semifinals where we thought it was you know two of the best teams in one A might have been Van Meter and West Branch, and uh, maybe the state got it right. I guess we'll. Uh, We'll see this week if that's the case, but I mean, yeah, I feel like at this point, just like, you know, we say for a lot of classes where, you know, what, what city the, the, the title comes through. I mean, in class one, A's case, it's Van Meter and a team from North, Northwest Iowa. Um, And I mean, West Sioux's been the one lately that's, that's been that team and, I mean, it's two high-powered offenses. The air raid from West Sioux. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what Van Meter has dialed up to stop them because really one of only West Branch's memorable big plays from the semifinal game last week was a deep pass early in the game. Um, and it seemed like Van Meter kind of made some adjustments and and kind of figured it out from there, but I'm – curious to see how Van Meter's defense uh, will do against, you know, this air raid offense. And then also, I mean, Van Meter's defense, I was really impressed with them last week. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really going to be up to if the D line can get pressure um, onto Wiggins and I mean, make him not feel comfortable. Cause if he has time, I mean, guys are going to get open at some point, but uh, this this could be a high scoring match. Um, I mean, we might see some, some pretty high fantasy, uh, pretty high fantasy points uh, by varsity bound again. <laughs> That's your lineup. Yeah. That's your lineup. Yeah. I'm setting all, all Gordons again. Uh, <laughs> and, Gordon and, and Will Gordon from, for class one a, cause I mean, they both had monster games in the semifinals and obviously their cousin did too. So, uh, right there, that's like 
a third of my lineup, just Gordon's. There you go. That's that's not a, not a bad strategy whatsoever. I will say, Van Meter, what they do have, what I, you know, and Carter alluded to it. I think Van Meter's defensive line has the ability to really change the game. Uh, Banks is, is guy I, I keyed in on. He's been one of the best defensive linemen in class one A this year. He's a game wrecker from defensive line, and there's a guy that could single handedly affect this game more than maybe anyone else on the field. Michael Banks is that guy. He could, he he has he could really throw. Sue's offense in the turmoil of West Sue's offensive line cannot handle him. And obviously, yeah, I didn't put it together, Carter, until we were in the box on Saturday that his dad is Mike Banks, who played tight end at Iowa. He's a former Ogden Bulldog, oddly enough, like Pam Meters head coach Eric Trudeau. Uh, and Mike actually played a couple years in the NFL before. Uh, I know he's been in part of the Bay Meter community for a few years now. Uh, but uh, his son is definitely, uh, definitely a chip off the old block. And uh, he he's definitely has the opportunity really the X factor game for Van for for either side that has the ability to to really help decide this football game. Yeah, yeah. So, as um, we'll, we'll take from that on Friday, you know, Class One A. Obviously, those were some two uh, pretty decisive semifinal games. Class Five A. On Friday, not necessarily the case. Of course, the first game of the day may have actually been better off being the second game than what they played out. Down in Catholic, they blew a 14-lead. Valley scores with 30 seconds left. They go for two, and they get it. Gary Swenson with, uh, dare I say, maybe the, one of the ballsiest calls I think I've ever seen in high school football in this state to go for two and go for the knockout blow on Dowling, and they do get it. Western Moines Valley. If you can call them, if they qualify for a Cinderella story, they are a Cinderella story, obviously, with the Des Moines aspect. But, you know, five and four, all, all the way to eight and four in a berth in the state title game. I, I can't remember the last time. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team have a run like West Des Moines Valley has had. They'll be playing for a class 5A state title on Friday night. And then Southeast Polk, they take care of business against Johnson, 35 to 14. And, uh, you know, I, we were expecting a team from West Des Moines to get to the state title game. You too, but... We weren't expecting it to be West Des Moines Valley. No. No. No, we weren't. This it might be one of the worst. I think this is this might be, at least in this century, maybe the most impressive run to a state championship game ever by, by any team. Yeah, and it, it's incredible because I feel like we keep going back to it, but legit, like just four or five weeks ago, um, before Zach joined the pod full-time, yeah. we were talking about how – Valley might not even make the state football playoffs and they go from a team that, you know, we, we were questioning if they'd make the playoffs to now playing in the state finals. I mean, you, you, I feel like you don't see that that often, especially in high school football where there's typically like a clear between the championship caliber teams and, you know, the teams that are maybe just playoff teams. And I mean, yeah, it's just incredible. And I, I had, actually not caught that game and then I saw it all over Twitter um, <laughs> and it's just kind of funny how things work where we just saw like a super gutsy call in LSU Alabama the week before where you know we see LSU go for two to win the game and it's kind of the same thing where I mean I almost equate you know Valley to LSU in this case where you know they've had past success um but like they're not they're not really quite there this year. They're going against the juggernaut um, in this sense, you know, Dowling or Alabama, and they go for the throat and they 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 go for the kill and they got it. 
And I mean, yeah, that I, I did not expect Valley to be playing in this game, but I'm so have they faced each other in the regular season? I honestly did not look. Yes. That up. Yeah. yeah so. Southeast Polk did play Valley and it was a, I think 30, it was a 20, it was a three score win. I think it was 34, seven or 35, seven. Okay. Yeah. Just found it 24 to seven Southeast Polk win. 24, seven. Okay. It was week two. So I don't know how much stock to put into that in that case. Cause well, yeah. Cause there's so every team is better now than they were. in week Yeah. Two. yeah. Well, and obviously, I mean, Valley has, they, they got something rolling for them. I think when you look at all of the, the entire tenure of Gary Swenson's career, coaching career at West Wayne Valley, I don't think you'd be able to find a guts a more a more gutsy call than what he did against against Dallin Catholic last week. Mm. Truly, I that's I mean, and he he said it afterwards. He goes, "I'm not taking any chances playing them in overtime." Yeah, you can't you can't take any chances against playing a team like that that talented that much of a that much of a juggernaut you can't take that chance of beating them in overtime you can't you have you either you either go for the win or you or you lose you just you can't rely on ot and that was absolutely the right call and it worked and it was it was a sensational game to watch because dowling was in control of that game all the way up until the fourth quarter mm-hmm. dowling was in control um that she was that they were um Dowling was in control of that entire game until the fourth quarter. And Valley put together the best, the more impressive fourth quarter comeback I've I've had in I've had my I've seen in my time of doing this. Um that said, I think the Cinderella story ends because I think Southeast Folk is just that is just that little much better. And I think I think Southeast Polk is I, I think if you ask around, uh, I think Southeast Polk is clearly the more talented team top to bottom. Uh, I you know I, it just I think it reverts back to Dallin Catholic, the program they have, the, the the system they have, the culture they have. You know, even a year where they're not the most talented team, they can get the most out of their guys. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I think I think a lot hinges on West Moy- on Valley's ability to to slow down the Southeast Polk offensive attack because you know you have to. You know, Westmore Valley doesn't have a guy that can go up and really stonewall a, a, a Caden Proctor or that Southeast Polk offensive line to slow down their ability to control the line of scrimmage. But, you know, what Valley has done, it's not been individual effort. It's been team effort. And if West, it, 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 I, I trust Gary Swenson to definitely put together a, a game plan that's conducive to pulling off the one more upset. Getting Westmore Valley, perhaps the most improbable state championship in the history uh, of the of the high school football playoffs in this state, uh, but it's just it's going to come down to a matter of execution and a matter of talent. Southeast Polk, if it comes down to talent, has the more talent. I'm not going to say Valley has no shot, but this might be the toughest hill. Hell Valley, this will. I don't say maybe this will be the toughest hill Valley will have to climb. I think. Yeah, and that that Southeast Polk rushing attack is. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm gonna be tough to stop they got two good like two great running backs yeah and, don't want to forget abu sama who, who's had a phenomenal postseason yeah yep and uh, yeah i mean they have sama and uh i'm forgetting who the other guy is uh gibson 
Gibson, mm. uh, who also has rushed for uh, over a thousand yards this year as well. So I mean, that's that's going to be tough to stop, and and a quality high quality core, quarterback as well. Yeah. So what's that? West Moines Valley, Southeast Polk. That'll be the uh, the the nightcap for Friday night at the Unidome. We'll move on down to. Uh, the Saturday slate. Now, uh, disclaimer, I know Carter and I, we, we didn't quite get a chance to watch a lot of the Saturday slate as we were at the Iowa-Wisconsin game. We'll start off in Class 2A. Uh, when we when we looked at Class 2A, Carter, when we were up at halftime at the, at the Iowa game up in the North End Zone Club, we weren't surprised by either of the scores. Williamsburg handles Dubuque Waller 31-7, Central Line George Little Rock. They handle OABCIG 37-14. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier with Lewis Central and Xavier, felt like two trains on the same track that are getting ready to collide. It's been this has been a long time coming between Williamsburg and Central Line George Little Rock since about week two, week three. We we have pretty much zeroed in that those are the two best teams in two A. They've been on a collision course ever since, and here we go. We we finally get to see them against one another in the Unidome. Yeah, it was it was kind of exactly what we've been seeing all year, and. Again, I, I don't have much analysis from the semifinal games just mm. because we were both watching the Hawks get the win on uh, yeah. Yeah. Saturday. And honestly, it didn't look like these games were worth really like rewatching or anything <laughs> anyways. Yeah. But I I mean, I feel like Williamsburg, so they, they've been ranked number one essentially all, all throughout the year. But I... I I just see Central Lion, George Little Rock winning this game. Um, I feel like Lutemore is just such a good athlete, and he's going to make something happen and take control of that game. And, and He has a more direct impact than Derek Weisskopf does. Yeah, yeah. Yep, pair of pair of future teammates going up against each other and mm-hmm. Lutemore and uh, – you just said Weisskopf. Yeah. Um, so I can provide a little bit of analysis on these two games since I, well, I covered Central Lion and OABCIG and then saw a good part of Williamsburg. Um, Dubuque Wallard had a real shot. I, before I mention anything about Williamsburg, I will say Dubuque Wallard had a legitimate shot to make that. They were down 10 nothing. They were driving. They had a legitimate shot to make it a three-point game because they're, they're starting uh, – Wallard's quarterback was picking apart Williamsburg's defense, and then they run the ball, and it's a scoop and score. And that was the end of it. Um, and Williamsburg just that Waller did not have any momentum from that point whatsoever. And they were flat, um, but Williamsburg was very impressive. They have been all year. When you look at their schedule, it's top to bottom. One of the best in one of the best in class two, a one of the best in the state. Um, so Williamsburg has been very good. And I was, that was my first time seeing Central Lion, George Little Rock, and Zach Lutmer is the real deal. Over 260 rushing yards, um, had an interception as well on defense. Um, he's he's the real deal. I I uh, I was really impressed with him, and I was really impressed with uh, um, their defense. Um, they were they were much more physical than OABCIG, and they um, they they. They got to Beckett to Gene with their front four on you know a pretty consistent basis, and um, they didn't let like Josh Peters or anyone else um, or anyone else for the Falcons get on the edge and go east to west. Um, Central Line kept it north to south, and it and it worked in their favor. Um, and so when I look at this matchup, I think 
I think when you're right that Lutmer's impact is much more prevalent than um, it's much more prevalent than Derek Weisskopf's. But um, I I just I think Williamsburg is I think Williamsburg is going to win this game and it's going to be by a field goal. I think I think I I just I just think Williamsburg is going to is better defensively. And I think, um, and I, and I, I just think that they are going to, um, they're just, there's just something about them. I can't explain it. It's just, it's just something about this Williamsburg team that just feels different. And that's why I think they're going to beat central line George little rock. I think it's my field goal. I think whoever has the ball last will win the game, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be Williamsburg. They have kind of that it factor. I guess that you really can't put your finger on. Mm-hmm. They just know how to get it done when they absolutely need to. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again this year, obviously with that non-conference, that non-district slate where they tested themselves with Regina, Van Meter, Solon got it done. I mean, obviously that Van Meter game was, was easily their closest game and they got it done. It just feels like Williamsburg does have that it factor. Uh, but that that's going to be a game I'm definitely going to be tuning into uh, to see how that one plays out because that that has a chance to be the best best game of the state championship round uh, in, in the state this uh, 2022 season. And then finally, uh, they, they rounded out with Class 3A on Saturday for the semifinals. Harlan ADM lived up to the billing. It was an offensive shootout, but Harlan was just able to make a couple more plays in ADM as the, the Cyclones moved back to the state championship game 49-35. to 35. There was a possibility of a state championship rematch with the Humboldt Wildcats, but Mount Vernon bringing in their undefeated record into Saturday. They get the 14-6 win in a defensive smash between the Must Wildcats as a Harlan-Mount Vernon state championship game. Two of the more storied programs in, in the Class 3A level going at it. And, uh, you know, it, it, Mount Vernon, unless they can find the offense, I feel like this is a shot to be a really long day for Mount Vernon. But uh, we've seen that Mount Vernon defense. I mean, that Mount Vernon defense might be the best defense in Class 3A. It, it, it can go pound for pound, maybe the best defense in the state. Yeah. I mean, it was – I mean, it's – if you can shut if you can shut down Lance Coonan and, um, and Humboldt's quarterback, Will Ornis, like – and really you've been able to shut down almost everyone this year. Like, it's – that's that's no – that's no defense to slouch at. Now the big test comes. Aiden Hall, Harlan, 3A state championship game. I just think Harlan is just is that much better. And I just I feel like it's been the case all year where you're kind of playing for second. And I just think Harlan is you, here's the thing with Harlan. And it was uh, and it it confirmed to me with a playing watching ADM. Because ADM went pound for pound with them. I mean, they went toe for toe for in that for the first, you know, for the first quarter and a half. What the difference was is that ADM won the toss and they elected to receive. They scored on their opening possession. And it was back and forth. ADM had the ball with um, under two minutes to go. 28-21, they were down. I think, and they didn't end up scoring. And then Harlan scored on their first possession of the, of the third quarter. And it was game over from there you have to go toe-for-toe with Harlan because, I mean, and even if you go toe-for-toe with Harlan, there's no guarantee you can stay with them because Harlan will keep going. That's the thing. Harlan will just keep scoring, and then they'll – and 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 unless you can stop them, you're not going to be able to win. 
So Mount Vernon has to have at bare minimum four three and outs. They need to force a bare minimum four punts to give themselves a shot. And even that, and even that might not be enough. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I think Harlan is just overall just too, too good as always. And it's kind of playing for second at this point, even as, even as good as Mount Vernon has been this year. You, you need Harlan, Mount Vernon is going to need a Bill Belichick Super Bowl 25 against the Bills type of, type of game plan to beat Harlan. Cause yes. they are, I mean, they are the K gun putting up 50 points a game in the playoffs. You know, how is anybody going to stop these guys? Mount Vernon's got Mount Vernon, their defense, they've got to find a way to put together, you know, a New York Giants type of performance. Anything that? No, not really. You guys kind of covered everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited to watch uh, Aiden Hall and Casper Bauer for, for Harlan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that should be, uh, you know, we, we felt like all year long. You know, like we said, it's Harlan's class to lose by a country mile. We'll see if that comes to fruition on, on Friday with the uh, Class 3A state championship game. Is that a wrap-up our discussion about uh, the semifinal weekend for, for Iowa high school football? With that, we'll, we'll transition to uh, the uh, to college football, Iowa and Iowa State. Of course, uh, Iowa, They Carter and I were there. They knock off Wisconsin 24-10 to at home. The Bull is back in Iowa City for the second time in three years. And the Hawkeyes are, are trending upward going into the final two weeks of the season. Unfortunately for, for the boys' names, for Matt Campbell's company, it, it's trending the other way. Uh, they've now lost five out of their last six. They fall to Oklahoma State by final 20-14. to 14. Iowa State had time, time and time again had a chance to take it and go ahead uh, and stay ahead against Oklahoma State. But five turnovers uh, wound up being the Cyclones undoing against the Cowboys. And uh, we'll start off with the Iowa State here. And I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of the replay of the game. But obviously, you know, it very much felt like whenever Iowa State had an opportunity to really seize momentum, really seize control of the game, uh, an untimely turnover is one undid them and undone them, or excuse me. And really, you know, that, that's been kind of the story a lot of the year for the Iowa State offense. And it really, it may have hit a low on Saturday against the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I don't want to. Go ahead, Zach. I don't want to call for anyone's job here, but Matt Tom Manning needs to be fired. Tom Manning needs to go. It is absolutely inexcusable that you have a quarterback like Hunter Deckers and he continually makes these type of mistakes. Now, I don't think Hunter Deckers has been he ha- he has been way too inconsistent for my for in my opinion mm-hmm. to warrant him being the for him being the starter going into 2023. But Tom Manning's play calling has just been horrendous. If it wasn't for Brian Ferentz being in Iowa, every all the all the attention would be on Tom Manning because his offense is his play calling is just it's horrendously bad. And he was able to be saved by probably three of the greatest I three of the top five greatest Iowa State players to come through in recent memory and Charlie Kolar. Brock Purdy and Brees Hall to make that offense look look good, and now that those three are gone, it just looks just horrible, and it's so disheartening. And I blame a lot of this on Cyclone fans itself, on Cyclone fans themselves, because I think the expectations got too high after three and zero, and the reality was that this team was super young. It wasn't a very big senior class. 
And it was a very impactful senior class, but it wasn't a big one. And it just always felt like the trickling from the past two years, like it was, it was all just going to, you know, come to the, you know, come to the end and come to the end this fall. I didn't think it was going to be this bad where they're fighting for their bowl eligibility lives. Um, but it is, that is the case. And there's, I think a lot of questions, there's, there's, way more questions and answers right now about Iowa state. And there's more, there's going to be a lot of questions heading in 2023 because I just don't think you can continue with Tom Manning as the OC. And I, and I really think you need to have a quarterback competition right now, because unless Hunter Deckers improves tremendously for next year, I just, I just do not see how you can go into 2023 with him as a starter with how inconsistent he's been. Yeah, I didn't know who played a worse game, uh, Gunnar Gundy or Hunter Deckers on on Saturday. And I still am in disbelief that – so I thought Spencer Sanders was hurt, right? I feel like right. everyone did. And I remember turning to Quinn during the mm-hmm. Iowa game because we were just keeping tabs on the Iowa State game. I'm like, dude, Spencer Sanders just threw a touchdown pass. And yeah, I was like, what? Yeah, it like – we were like, what is going on? And so apparently he's healthy enough to get the win against Iowa State. But I mean, yeah, Zach, I'd agree with kind of what you've been saying. I had I had a chance to um rewatch like the condensed version of the game. And Iowa State's offense, it is almost as tough to watch as the Iowa offense. <laughs> um I mean, it's just I don't know what's going on in the state with offensive coordinators here um, for the two flagship programs, but it's not good. Um, and I, I mean, you're right. There's got to be changes and they're going to be tough decisions for both uh, Matt Campbell and uh, Kirk Ferentz going forward. But I will say something that might be kind of cool is that if Iowa state can beat Texas tech, they go into TCU with the chance to, you know, fight for their bowl eligibility and potentially even knock TCU out of the playoff. Um, I mean, what would be more exciting than, you know, becoming bowl eligible and knocking off a team that right now is the the four seed in the playoff? And it would be so Matt Campbell-esque to yeah, do yeah, that. I was too. just getting ready to say that. That is something Matt Campbell – that would just spit the bill with Matt Campbell. Yeah, it's like he, giving me Oklahoma State vibes um, from, oh, what, like 12 years ago now? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it would just – it would be so Matt Campbell to uh, – for Iowa State to uh, to put it all together against TCU in Fort Worth, no, in Fort Worth nonetheless, and and, and beat, beat TCU and, and spoil their – spoil all the, all the dreams of the Horned Frogs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it's also even more just what what a season that would be for Iowa State where, you know, if you look back on it and you tell someone, yeah, we beat Iowa and TCU this year. Um, you know, one would think that Iowa State went 11 and one or 10 and two. And instead, yeah. uh, you know, it could potentially be six and six. Uh, so we'll see. But I, I mean, I, I'm hoping the clones can make a bowl here. And there is a, there is there is a slight chance that they could make a bowl game at five and seven. I know there's been True. there's been talk about that. I know definitely the coaching staff would 
much rather make a bowl game at six and six and not have to worry about it than have to spot it out uh, when the bowl selections come out after conference championship weekend. But uh, yeah, and Zach, I'm glad you brought up the point about uh, the Hunter Deckers and the expectations that were given to him by, by Iowa State fans. Cause I said, I, I think I said it right here on this podcast. I said, Iowa State fans are setting up this kid for failure because they are pumping him up when there's really not a lot to pump up around him about. And, uh, and I said before the year, if Iowa State goes seven and five this year, that's one of the, that might be Matt Campbell's best coaching job with how much they lost from a season ago. And I think Iowa State fans are seeing now that, you know, the people that, you know, the people that laughed at that, oh, they'd be better than seven and five, six and six, seven and five. No, things are actually a lot worse than that. It, it, it's almost funny because it, it, it lends itself to me seeing, you know, for as pessimistic and, and just, you know, just downtrodden as Iowa fans can, can be at their worst. Iowa State fans are almost on the exact opposite end when it comes to when their team, you know, when they, they, they're they overly supportive, that they overlook, they look at stuff in rose-colored glasses. It almost feels like the Iowa State fans are almost on the, a lot of the Iowa State fan base, and just like a lot of the Iowa fan base, it's on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to that. Iowa State fans are are, are too, some, a lot of Iowa State fans are almost too cheer, almost cheerleader-like in their support, but I, there are Iowa fans that are almost, you know, Iowa game on the other end of it. It's, it's kind of funny how that how that has worked itself out. Yeah, Iowa State fans are always happy, and Iowa fans are always depressed. Yeah, it's I don't know I don't no. know how I don't know who made that decision. I don't know how that worked out, but that's how it worked out. I don't I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's honestly pretty accurate at this point. If you gauge, <laughs> yeah, in the age of yeah, Twitter Twitter is a microcosm of that. No question about right. it. Uh, so I would say they they take on Texas Tech. One thing Iowa State does have going for them, the last time Texas Tech came up to Ames, it was this cold. Iowa State won 66-10. And might I add, that was against a Texas Tech team that had a guy, a quarterback by the name of Patrick Mahomes. So Who's that? Uh, I, I don't know if we'll see anything like that on Saturday, but that def- I think that definitely favors Iowa State. Who's, who's Patrick Mahomes? Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, who's that bump? <laughs> Justin Fields, QB1. Yeah. Josh Allen, best quarterback in the league. Kirk Cousins, wrong. best quarterback in the league. Change my <laughs> mind. Kirk Cousins, pizza ranch time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I didn't get to see Iowa, but I know you guys did. So um, I'll pose this question to both of you: If you were to peg it, if you were to peg their chances right now at the Big Ten championship in Indy, what are you pegging it as? As we transition into Iowa here, uh, I I look at this. I look at this last stretch. You know, obviously it's 50-50. Either Iowa wins the last two or they don't. But the odds that Iowa wins the last two, I told Carter, I'm about I'm at about 90-95% on Saturday, and that has not changed. I think Iowa's playing their best football. They're playing a Minnesota team that has not played well the last couple weeks, even though Minnesota has won. They have not played well. Their passing game is pretty much in shambles right now. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is a very good talent, but you know, I go back to the Purdue game. We, we, we've we seen what – if Iowa goes up against a one-dimensional team where they can really only play well in one phase of offense, Iowa's going to dominate them, and statistically they have. And I'm not saying Iowa's going to win 35-3 to against Minnesota. I, w- I would be – my jaw would be on – I'd have to carry my jaw to Jack Trice Stadium with me. Behind, I'd, I'd have to drag it behind me if that was the case to cover <laughs> Iowa State on Saturday. Uh, but I, I, I feel very, very good about Iowa – and where they are right now. And I definitely think, you know, you win against Minnesota and then Michigan beats Illinois. I don't, you know, you look at Black Friday, I don't see any way if I was playing for a shot to get into the Big Ten championship game, I don't see any way Iowa loses to Nebraska on Black Friday. I'd almost, 
I'd never want to put anything at 100%. That's the closest to 100% I would feel about a game if I was playing for a shot to get to, to get to Indy on Black Friday. That would be the closest. That's in Kinnick, right? That's yeah. this year it's in okay. Indy at Kinnick. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah. Kinnick would be a, a, a freaking electric factory. It'd be a TVA electric factory on, on Saturday or on, on Black Friday if that happens. Yeah. So what if I told you guys that prior to the Iowa Pope's arrival, <laughs> Iowa had the worst offense in the country in a three and four record. However, since his blessings, Iowa has won three straight behind a rejuvenated offense. ESPN Films presents 30 for 30. Hail Mary, the legend of the Iowa Pope. That was just a <laughs> hilarious tweet that Great. I had found. Oh. Um, I had scrolled across on Twitter. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is it's actually true. I remember watching the game on TV against Northwestern and seeing the kid on uh, what was on Halloween uh, dressed up as the Iowa Pope. And then the same thing kind of happened on this Saturday. Yeah. Quinn, I'm sure you, you remember it too. It was only a 14-10 game. And, and they, they showed him. This kid that, that's dressed up in the Pope, jer- the P- Pope costume in, in his garbs and – all of a sudden, Iowa just turns it on, and I mean, uh, I think every, I think every time, I think every time they showed him on the scoreboard, a touchdown followed soon after. I think they, yes. I think they showed him on the scoreboard right before the Cooper to Gene pick six, and I think they yeah. showed him again right at right before his punt return that set up the last touchdown. It, it's honestly insane, and if I was <laughs> this kid, I mean, I would absolutely run with it. Um, kind of like you know, I would, and and he is, he is on on Twitter. Um, I see he's got a GoFundMe set up to get black and gold. Uh, yeah, are we looking at possible podcast guests? (laughs) Yeah, need to find. (laughs) Let's get him on the. I'd get him on the pod. Yeah, great story. So his his at on Twitter is literally just Iowa Pope. Iowa Pope. Um, he's (laughs) literally (laughs) changed his life around to just being the Iowa Pope and. His pinned tweet on there is a GoFundMe to get new Iowa co- colored outfits and for ticket money. And today I donated ten dollars to him. So, what's the GoFundMe at? It. What's that? What's the total GoFundMe at? Oh gosh, I'll, I'll pull it up. Earlier is that? Like, yeah, it's at three hundred ten bucks. <laughs> hey, that's that's not bad. That's, that's not bad. no, bad. that's not bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that was funny. And then actually going to like real analysis, um, and kind of answering your question too, Zach. I mean, I'm, I'm with Quinn that if Iowa gets past Minnesota and I, I feel very confident that Illinois is going to lose to Michigan. Um, I really don't see Michigan and Ohio state the following week, not being an undefeated matchup. Um, and also, Illinois just has not really been that impressive. Um, Chase Brown is hurt. He might not. Yeah. Uh, he, he may have. Yeah, I did. I did see Bilma say that he pro- he may come back from Michigan, which if if Chase Brown does come back from Michigan, I do think Illinois has a better shot. But the fact that it's in Ann Arbor in the big house, I really don't think Illinois is going to win that. If it was in Champaign, I would lean a different way because it yeah. is it is the game before Ohio State. And so it is – if you want to call it a trap game for Michigan, then it could be, right? Am I right on that? Like, because next week they play Ohio State, right? Yep, or is it yep. Saturday, Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yep. 
So, like, it could be classified as a trap game for Michigan, but I don't think that – I don't think this Michigan crew is going to view it like that than maybe, like, the Michigan team, like, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then just going on, like, looking at the Iowa-Minnesota game, I mean, Kirk Ferentz has essentially ran this rivalry since P.J. Fleck has come to town. Um, Iowa has won the last seven matchups between them. Um, that being said, a lot of them have actually been really close games where uh, typically, I mean, the the margin of the win has been between like three to seven points. And so, I mean, Minnesota is not going to be a pushover, especially after bringing, bringing back their offensive coordinator from two years ago when they were really good. And uh, I mean – also, just looking back at, you know, how Iowa fared against Wisconsin, Cooper DeGene is honestly part of the reason why Iowa won that game. I mean, he had an incredible game with that pick six, and he had 10 tackles as well. Um, and, I mean, Iowa's going to need a great day out of their defense again, where, you know, this defense is actually averaging three points a game, and they're probably going to need those three points if they want to win because Iowa's offensive, uh, their touchdown drives came on 18-yard and 17-yard drives. So, I mean, we can say that the offense is rejuvenated maybe a little bit, and they were – and, I mean, they they outrushed Wisconsin. I mean, it's not like this game had, you know, any – Well, they outrushed them by one yard. Yeah, yeah one yard. They did. But, I mean, it's not like either team looked great offensively, and it was just right. one of those Big Ten defensive battles. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if Iowa does what they're supposed to do right and not make, um, mistakes, I mean, I, I do think that they have a chance to get back to Indy and I did request my, uh, ticket to go to, uh, the big 10 championship today. They sent out an email to season ticket holders asking if you want to request your ticket. And I did. So was that queue shorter than the Taylor Swift, uh, queue? I bet it was a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think it was. <laughs> um, so here's my here's my just quick take on Iowa, Minnesota. I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, I think I think Mo is it Ibrahim? Is that how you pronounce his yeah, last name? Uh, Ibrahim. I think it's Ibrahim. Ibrahim. Okay. I think he is the most talented back that Iowa is going to face this year. I think he I think he's more talented than Corum. I think he's more talented than than Chase Brown. When you look at when you look at career arc, I'd say like career arc, I think Mo is more talented than those two, but I do think Corum and Brown are having better years than Mo. That said, Quinn is right. Minnesota's one dimensional right now because their quarterback, who I can't pronounce his name, but I know Minnesota fans just call him uh AK. Um he is he's solid on his feet, but he's not very good with his arm. Um, and so it's gonna it's gonna have to be, you know, real it's gonna have to be uh um a Mo type game. And if Iowa's front seven can shut him down, then Iowa's gonna cruise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Kirk, I, Carter, I did think it was funny that uh you know you brought up Kirk Parents running PJ like you could have just Kirk Parents has run this rivalry and just ended it there because Kirk Parents has run this Minnesota rivalry yes. since he got to Iowa City. 
Yeah, you, you could have just stopped it. <laughs> Didn't have to add PJ Fleck. You could have just stopped it uh, after Kirk Ferentz has run this rivalry. But but uh, he doesn't like PJ Fleck either. No, so. he does not. Um, just yeah. remember, we'll take the we'll take the we'll leave the timeouts and we'll take the pig. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> this this game matters a lot, not only because it's a trophy game, but yeah, you know, and Kirk Ferentz doesn't like PJ Fleck either, so you know like- he's going to be ready. Kirk doesn't like a lot of the coaches in the Big Ten. He got rid of one of them with Scott Frost, but he didn't like a lot of the a lot of the coaches in the Big Ten West. <laughs> yeah. So with that, uh, we'll flip gears to our final topic, uh, talking Iowa and Iowa State women's basketball. We'll start off with the Hawkeyes because I actually did get to watch the Hawkeyes up close on Sunday in their game against Drake. I'll say that Drake. That you know they're projected to finish third in the Valley. That team could very easily win the Valley. I was very. Very impressed with the Bulldogs on Sunday. Gave Iowa all they can handle, and then some. But Iowa able to pull off, the, pull out uh, the win in overtime at the Nap Center, ninety-two to eighty-six. Monica Sonata was sensational. She had almost forty points. Caitlin Clark, efficiency-wise, was not a good day, but still she managed to get near thirty points in, in the win. I, I even looked at the, I even looked at the box score. She went nine of twenty-eight from the field. I go, shot twenty-eight shots. Didn't feel like she shot twenty-eight shots, but apparently she did. But Iowa was able to get. The, Lisa Bluter and Caitlin Clark, they they made it clear. You know, obviously Iowa, they struggled on the defensive end, but they said Drake was one of the best transition teams in the country. And, and Caitlin Clark was very adamant. You know, she said this is an NCAA tournament team that we played here today. And the atmosphere, uh, Lisa Bluter said, but it was chalked up to a NCAA tournament atmosphere. And I agree. I don't think I've ever heard the NAP Center that loud before. Uh, that was a real treat to cover that game on Sunday. But the Hawkeyes, you know, you look at the, at the Big Ten, uh, Iowa, I think, is the clear-cut favorite, but there are teams, obviously, that will have a say in the Big Ten Championship. Indiana, I think, being the number one opponent, and perhaps Maryland being number two, if not maybe 1B. Uh, but I, this Iowa team, you know, th- this Iowa team has the makings of a team that can get to the Final Four. The defensive end, you know, Drake, obviously, you know, made it look easier than perhaps the first two teams did, because Iowa's defense really actually looked really good the first couple of games. Uh, granted, they are they were by games. Uh, but when you look at this Iowa team, it, it has the makeup. And if they can they can pull it together on the defensive end, especially in Big Ten play, this is a Final Four caliber team. It should make the Final Four. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to kind of what you've said. They just need to figure out defense and find a third score. Um, I mean, Sonano and Clark, they're going to drop their 20-plus a game. Um, but really they haven't found that third person who they can consistently go to quite yet. And that's going to be important for, you know, if they want to make the deep run that, you know, people are predict- predicting that they could make, you know, elite eight final four. I mean, they're going to have to play some defense in the tournament and they're going to have to have someone to rely on, especially since Caitlin Clark had four, four fouls in that game. I mean, if she fouls out, I don't know if Iowa wins, you know, uh, and so if and if she fouls out in an NCAA tournament game or something, I mean, they need someone else to go to. So it, that's going to be something to watch. And it's not even just a pure third score. I think just the entire supporting cast needs to be better. I mean, when you look mm-hmm. at McKenna Warnock, um, Gabby Marshall, Molly Davis, Hannah Stolke, like those those four, and Kate Martin as well. If I haven't, if I, I can't remember yeah. her, but yeah, those though like the supporting cast behind Clark. And um, Sazano just they they have to be better. They they it has to be like, and you, you don't have to ask for like you know monster games from all of them, but you need one of them to have at least you know fifteen to eighteen points. 
to go along with the 20 that you're going to get from Caitlin and Monica. That's, I mean, and that shouldn't be that hard to ask, but it just, it just always seems to be for the past couple of years that you just have not been able, or for the last year, I should say, where you just have not been able to find that, you know, that third score. Yeah. It felt like, uh, it felt like two years ago, McKenna Warnock did appear to be that person to be that third score. She had two years ago, I thought was all big 10 caliber. Um, I think that, I think the COVID uh, pods really put, uh, put a, uh, really put her in a funk that she really couldn't get out of last year. Uh, I feel like McKenna Warnock is, the, if they are going to find that third scorer, is that person to be that third scorer. Although, uh, as of right now, you know, like I said, it's still up in the air between between uh, McKenna Warnock as well as Kate Martin, Gabby Marshall, who finally hit her first couple threes of the season. They came at very timely, in a very timely manner, might I add, on Sunday. Uh, but it feels like she needs to step up in front, on the offensive end. She's been fantastic on the defensive end to start this year, I will say. Uh, for for the most part, and then Hannah Stolke has a chance. I I, I really think she has a very much. I, I feel like she could have a Keegan Murray type freshman year, where you know she she makes contributions. You know, and she she does a couple things to make you go, whoa, okay, who is this? By the end of the season, she's consistently in the rotation, making a contribution and, and making a difference for this Iowa lineup. She she has I think that kind of a ceiling uh, for this Iowa women's team this year. She's got a Megan Gustafson. She's got a Megan Gustafson type career ceiling, I think. Yeah, Megan. Yeah, Megan Gustafson, and, and, and I'd even say Monica Sinano type ceiling. Yes. Let's, let, let, let's give respect to Monica Sinano. She came into a situation yes. where, as a sophomore, took over that center spot, and she is. She, I mean, she had to replace the best women's basketball player in the history, perhaps the history of the state of Iowa in women's basketball. All, all, all four big universities. I mean, she had to step fill those shoes, and she has done. A, a job as good as any player could have done in that position. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Fully agree. Yeah. But in she, you know, we just, I want to give her her respect. I've, I've been saying this for a couple of years now. She's done an admiral job uh, at that center spot, replacing the, 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 what at the time, you know, she still is at least career wise, the best player to ever, ever come through the state at the college level. Yeah. Uh, but until, until Caitlin hangs until Caitlin Clark is done. Yes. Until Caitlin yes. is done. Uh, but yep. She's done a tremendous job uh, down low. Not to use a, not to turn a Fran McCaffrey phrase there, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll use that to punt to segue in, in, into the Iowa State Cyclones. Iowa State they are currently undefeated in the women's basketball side. They're ranked in the top ten. Obviously, Ashley Jones back for her for her. Uh, I believe this is her COVID year. Uh, she she yes. had available to use. Uh, she's averaging a double double right now, twenty one and twelve uh, as of right now. Emily Ryan, a point guard, she's averaging five and a half assists. Cyclones have gotten a big, big boost. Stephanie Soares, she was a transfer uh, as a center from an NAIA school. She's coming. She's averaging a double double right now, eleven points, eleven rebounds. She's been a presence down low. The Cyclones needed to have for this team to become more of a complete team. Lexi Donarski's been excellent from the outside so far this year, and this is an Iowa State team. If the cards fall right for them. I don't put it past them to make a run to the final four because this has the makings, perhaps the Bill Fenley's best team ever. Yeah, I would agree that I, I think it is Fenley's best team. Um, and he's got and he's got a national player of the year caliber in Ashley Jones. And I think his his supporting cast is a lot better than than Iowa's supporting cast because you know what you're going to get from Iowa State's supporting cast with Emily Ryan, Lexi Donarski, Stephanie Source has been a has been a treat. So far as like kind of she was kind of I felt like she was the missing piece last year for Iowa State. And she's filled that role as like a true inside presence that can that can, you know, take some load off Ashley down low. So I think that I think Soares has been the has been the the she was the one missing piece. And I think now that she's there, I think it's going to make Iowa State go farther. 
Um, Cause I, I think it's, a, I think Iowa State right now is an elite eight, potentially final four team. Mm-hmm. Um, if the cards fall, right. Like you mentioned, Quinn. Um, yeah. This, this has the case to be Fenley's best, best team pro- probably in his tenure. That's yeah. pretty impressive considering the teams he's had. I mean, you look at the teams with right. Heather Izell, Allison Lacey, going all the way back to uh, uh, Megan Taylor, way back, you know, around the time Carter we were born. I mean, we're talking, you know, late 90s, early 2000s with those teams. Uh, though, though, though this has a chance to be better than all, all those teams. What, what's crazy to me is that I actually think that the greatness of this year's Iowa State women's team is so overshadowed by Caitlin Clark and her popularity and, you know, how on a national level she's recognized and that I, everyone expects, you know, Iowa to, you know, maybe be that final four team. And I almost might think that this Iowa state team is better. Um, I mean, that they, they look really good. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they came into Carver Hawkeye arena here in about, three weeks now and take down the Hawks and kind of shock them a little bit because I mean, Sora, she was, uh, she was a two-time NAIA player of the year um, and she can shoot the ball too. So I'm, I mean, that matchup, I'm sure she'll be matched up on Sonano. And I mean, everybody will talk about Jones versus Caitlin Clark. I think the real matchup is going to be Soares versus uh, Sonano, but mm-hmm. That I mean, either way, it's incredible that there's two teams in the state that, you know, could potentially make a final four um, in women's basketball. And it, it just makes it more fun. And it's going to it's going to make for the winner going to be a lot more fun in, in Iowa. When you look at two teams that not only can not I, I would say they're the favorite right now to win their conference titles um, and then can go on deep postseason runs. Now, they still need you know to stay healthy and the breaks need to fall their way. And you need to be a little lucky because that's what the NCAA tournament is primarily about. I mean, let's be real here. Luck mm-hmm. is a is a large factor in in good Very NCAA much. tournament play. So you need the luck. You need you need the bounces, and you need to stay healthy. As long as they as long as both Iowa and Iowa State stay healthy, um, we can get to the. They both can get to the final four. Yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent with that. And you know, I even mentioned Drake. You know, look at Drake and you and I. Those are two teams that you know they they could find a way. Uh, I definitely think Drake very much well. I don't put a pass to you and I to maybe find their way in, in, in March Madness when the time comes. Women's basketball in the state has, has never been better, I think, than it is right now. And it's really, I mean, regardless of your fan of Iowa, Iowa State, Drake, you and I, I don't think there's ever been a more enjoyable time to be a basketball fan in the state of Iowa. No, agreed. Yeah. So with that, that that's going to wrap things up on this uh, episode. We episode 15 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. Uh, I, I think we're at 15. I think, of course, we'll be back here next week by the time we get here next by the time we're back next week it'll be thanksgiving hopefully we're talking about uh you know state championship results and hopefully maybe an iowa team with a shot to get to indianapolis and maybe an iowa state team has a chance to get to bowl eligibility uh let's hope we have a lot more positive a lot of positive stuff to talk about next week so uh that's going to do it for us here for zach martin carter commenter my co uh, one of my co-hosts this is quinn douglas signing off we'll talk to you again next week